So I'm excited today to have my family here from different places, actually. My dad and my mom and my niece are here from California. They've escaped from California for a little while. They're here for a week. My son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter uh, on the way are here too from Arkansas. I'm super pumped about that. And uh, it's just been kind of a good weekend. And Rachel, my niece, is seeing Iowa for the very first time. And so she's been pretty easy as far as the, the scenery and things that she wants to see. The other day, I said, what would you like to see in Iowa? And she said, I'd like to see some corn. I said, I can help you with the corn. So well, I'm telling you, we, we took off and drove out to Polk City and we saw corn. But, but we walked out last week, earlier in the week, we walked outside and she looked at me and she said, well, she, my wife was there as well. And she was like, who turned the thermostat to hell? And I thought that was hilarious. And then today you walk outside and it's like, who set the thermostat on heaven, right? I mean, that's the beautiful thing about Iowa. You can't get bored with the weather. You can't get bored. I mean, it's really, it's an, it's an amazing place. And so being able to experience it, like some people are experiencing it for the first time, has been kind of fun. We went to the fair. We showed Rachel and my mom and dad the Iowa State Fair. Nothing smells worse than the pig barn, right, when you go to the fair, except the people who choose to stand in front of the fans and all of the buildings. <laughs> I found that sometimes the stinkiest people stand the closest to those big fans that blow and you're like, what is that smell? It's not quite cheap, it's not, anyway. Yeah, so you need to choose who, who stands where in, in the barns. And, and I was listening, sort of overhearing the, the judging of the pigs. And I kind of was feeling bad for the pigs anyway, right? Because they shave them up and oil them up and there they are just standing there in all their glory. And they go into this arena, the announcer's just picking them apart. I mean, they got a little too much marbling on the ham hocks. And I'm like, who doesn't have a little too much marbling on the ham hocks, right? You can see the age showing in the front end. And I'm like, well, that offended me. Who can, you know, who do you not see the age showing in the front end? And well, it's, you know, it's not quite, I mean, they just blast them, just tear them apart. The pigs don't have any idea what's going on, right? They don't know that they're getting made fun of, but we experienced the, the entire fair and we got done and looked back on the day. It was a great day. And, you know, sometimes these days are just days that you just want to hit pause on, right? You got your family together. You got, you have your mom and dad, you have your niece, you have your son and daughter, and you got your grandbaby on the way and your wife, and you just want to be there and just in the moment. And you just never want to let it go. It's like, man, if we could just hit pause and just keep these days, just keep it right here the way it is. Wouldn't it be great? One of the temptations we have in life is to always look back a little bit and remember the good old days, how great things were, and to try to just bring those memories back and continue to relive the past. Sometimes to be so afraid of time passing that we never really enjoy the moment and really not ever look toward the future with as much optimism and excitement as, as we should. And if we're not careful, sometimes it allows us to get a little jaded, to get a little cautious, to get a little defensive, and maybe sometimes our attitudes get a little bit bad. God created us to be people who appreciate the past, who love the moment, but who also are looking forward to the future with optimism. Because as we talked about last week, those of us who are full of joy of the Lord know that we can rise above the circumstances in life and that we don't have to be affected by the things that so many are affected by and our attitudes can be great. So we're gonna talk today about having a great attitude. Sometimes, I'll just be real transparent with you, I'm gonna tell you something you probably don't, you, you know this, so I'm being a little sarcastic. Sometimes Christians don't have a great attitude. I shared with you last week that when I asked my wife 
in the car as we were driving just out of the blue. Joy, how would you define bad attitude? She looked at me immediately, gave me a bad attitude, accused me of having a bad attitude, and it was there it was, right there in front of us. It's what a bad attitude is. It is a way of thinking, conclusions that you form. You know what a conclusion is? I've shared this with you a bunch. A conclusion is the last thought you think when you're done thinking. You put a period at the end of the sentence. It's a conclusion that you form, a way of thinking that results in a way of acting and a way of feeling. That's attitude. And sometimes we look at people and we say, well, somebody should make me happy. I should have a person in my life who makes me happy. I would have a good attitude if the people were just nicer to me. And we know that no person can make us happy. Sometimes we say circumstances in life should be better. If they were better, I would have a good attitude. If things just were happening the way I want them to, life just doesn't seem to be going my way. Well, we know because the Bible's teaching us that circumstances, they can't make us happy. They don't give us a good attitude. We know we're responsible for the attitude that we have. And attitude's one of the most important things in life. The fastest way to change our life is to change our attitude. It's not the only thing but it's a really important thing. Attitude doesn't make up for incompetence in the workplace, but it sure is that X factor for success. It's what makes people wanna be around you as opposed to people want to leave when they see you coming. It is that thing that Jesus had that made him so contagious in the best possible way. People to want to listen to what he had to say, to be around him, to follow him from town to town. And man, we wanna be like that. There should be no people no person in the entire world with a better attitude than a Christian who understands the gospel. And sometimes, friends, we slip and our attitude gets sour and people judge Jesus because of it. So we're talking about attitude. The apostle Paul's writing in Philippians, he wrote a whole letter to a church that he loved, but we also see in the very beginning of Philippians four that he liked them. He said, and he, as he greeted them, he said, brothers, which meant brothers and sisters, Christians, fellow Christians, when I come and with you, when I'm around you, I love you, but I also like you, but stay focused on the mission. Now in the first three chapters, he wrote some great things to this church, church, a church that was doing a great job, but living in a hard world. They had people who were trying to be legalistic and, and put hoops to jump through before they could actually be Christians. They had false teachers. They had influences from the world. And so he was writing some encouragement to them. But he said, listen, I love you guys. I'm proud of you. I enjoy being around you. You're one of my, my, my pride and joys of my life, the accomplishments that I'm looking forward to taking to heaven with me. And he said, hey, I know that there's a squabble going on in church. I know there are two women who used to be pillars of the church. And these women, nobody really knows exactly their history, but we know that they may have been part of the group that the Apostle Paul met when he first went to Philippi and met the women on the shore of the, of the river. Lydia was one of them and led them to Jesus. Before he went to jail with Silas, before all the miraculous events happened, as he birthed this church with blood, sweat, and tears. These two women who he says, you guys were really effective in the gospel and you were part of the church. Well, you've decided to fight each other. And he appealed to a peacemaker in the church and to the rest of the church and to the women and said, hey, put aside your petty disagreements. You used to be pillars of the church, but now you're present problems. And we gotta deal with it because unity is so much more important. 
And we know it wasn't doctrinal issues they were fighting over because the apostle Paul came down hard on doctrine. Whenever there was a doctrinal issue, if somebody was, was heretical, he would have spoken to it, that it was just pure preference. They just got sideways with each other. They got crossed and started fighting for their own way. And Paul alludes to the fact that there were sides being chosen, lines being drawn, and the church was no longer effective because it wasn't focusing outward, they were focusing inward. Who are we gonna fight? Who's gonna win? Which side am I on? Whose people are my people? And Paul says, I get it. We're all human, but certainly we can learn to get along. Can we put aside our squabbles for the good of the gospel? And then he transitions to this set of instructions that I'm calling foundational points for a great attitude, Christ-like attitude. And last week we began with being full of the joy of the Lord. I'm gonna read the passage to you and we're gonna break it down, but only focus on one, the second of four foundational attitudes we're gonna talk about because Christians should have better attitudes than anybody else and people should see that there's something special about Jesus because of the way we interact. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Always be full of the joy of the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. How soon? We don't know. Sooner than yesterday, coming soon. When Jesus comes again, the only decision, now, now I need you guys to lean in and pay attention to this one. Uh, I don't say that because I don't think you can pay attention. I just wanna make sure we all are paying attention and I know it's tough on Sunday morning because there's tons of things that distract and compete for your time and your attention. So I wanna remind us that when Jesus comes again, the only decision that matters in life is the decision that a person's made about Jesus Christ. That's it. And so Paul sort of buries this in the middle of this little section, but he's saying there's no more important thing to remember that these decisions people are making as they watch you and interact with us and hear this gospel, it's the only thing that matters. And Jesus is coming again soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That'll be next week. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Lots to talk about, which is why we're taking some time to get there. But today we're gonna very simply focus on the second point. And I want you to consider how it is that you're being perceived in the world or by the world around you. I'm going to assume something. My assumption is that you don't have squabbles or bitterness or unforgiveness or anger in your heart toward another brother or sister. I'm going to assume that there's peace between you and the people who are around you and assume that we've moved beyond this first instruction or challenge and are ready to embrace the perception of the world around us. But I do understand that to get to that point, first of all, we have to be willing to let go of past hurt. And I know that some of you have been wounded by church. I hear it almost every week. Maybe not this church, maybe another church, 
maybe another pastor, maybe another person, maybe another deacon, maybe another Sunday school teacher, maybe a different day or a different time, but you were wounded. And sometimes it's easy to blame Jesus and to blame this gospel for the experiences that you've had, and I understand it. And I'm sorry for what happened to you. But we have to be willing to let that go and put it in the past. And just like we don't want to be blamed for everybody who says they're our friends, we don't want Jesus to be blamed by everybody who says they're Jesus' friend, and we have to take Jesus at his word and be willing to move on. The second thing is is that we have to, to deal with our present relationships and frictions because anytime two people work together, there can be friction. When two forces collide, they can wrestle or they can dance. And a focused church is an effective church. A bored church is a fighting church. So Paul's reminding us, deal with these interpersonal frictions and Get them out of the way so that we can be effective in future expectations. What do I want? What's happening? What am I here for? What's it all about? We'll talk about that a different time. I can't spend too much time on that. My assumption is that we're there. And I want to talk to you about your effect or impact on the world around you. Your influence. I want to talk to you about one specific word here in this second little verse we're considering. And this second word is a verse or is a word that's hard to translate. It's a word where when the apostle Paul says, let your actions be seen by everybody, the actions that he's talking about here, um, being considerate, letting everyone see how considerate we are, really it's translated in a number of different ways, but I wanna give you what I think is the best way. Some have said that the word is big heartedness. Some say sweetly reasonable. That sounds like my grandmother, something she would say. My grandmother, my dad's mom was from Georgia. I can't say it like she did. It was beautiful when she said it. I mean, it was like 12 syllables and just, it was great. Ricky, could you be sweetly reasonable? Doesn't that sound like something grandma would say? Very generous, full of goodwill. The best translation is gracious. Graciousness, the message, which is not a translation. It's just a paraphrase. It says, make it clear, as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side working with them and not against them. Help them see the master is about to arrive soon. He could show up at any minute. Be considerate, gracious in the way you live. Now, the apostle Paul says some things that are very, very specific. What do we wanna do? We wanna be gracious to the world around us. To whom do we want to do it? Everyone in the Bible The word everyone is chosen intentionally, and this is a hard word for you and for me, because what everyone means is everyone. I like to be nice to the people who I like. I like to be nice to the people who are nice to me. I like to be nice to people who can add to my life. I like to be nice to the important people, to my kind of people. The apostle Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, you're making a mistake if that's the way you feel. Let your graciousness be seen and known by who? By everyone. Why? Because Jesus is coming. And they're making a decision about Jesus as they make a decision about you. And I'm going to talk to you about something right now that seems to be trivial. Seems one of these things we would talk about like if we were in 
Sunday school, maybe, and five or six years old, you know, something you teach a kid. But the Bible goes back over and over and over again to talk about these things. And there's a reason that we're being reminded. And I think if we get it right, I think the world would be a different place. More importantly, I think I would be a different person. So I wanna ask you a question. Is your life known by your graciousness? Is your attitude one of your greatest strengths or is it one of your biggest weaknesses? Let your graciousness be seen by everyone. Well, who's everyone? Well, let's just break it down. I like the simple stuff, perhaps you will too. The first person I see in the morning, I'm married, love being married, love my wife, she loves me. Sometimes we like each other. Most of the time we like each other. Sometimes there are times, right? A little friction. The first person I see in the morning, my wife. Am I gracious to my wife? Sometimes. Sometimes I'm not. I know this is basic. I understand. But if we don't start with those closest to us, you can't expect for it to continue out in concentric circles and affect those who are outside of, of your closest circle. We're held most responsible for the people who are closest to us and see us most often. Am I known by my kids as being gracious to them when they lived in my home? Was I gracious to my children when I saw them in the morning? Sometimes. Most of the time, I hope, no testifying. <laughs> Sometimes, no. What about my coworkers? It depends on my mood. It depends on how I slept. It depends on if I have my coffee. It depends on if they're nice to me. And the Apostle Paul's reminding us that it doesn't depend at all. Because there were a couple people who we're reading about here, Jesus being first and the Apostle Paul being second, who had every reason to let people and circumstances ruin their attitude. And Paul's reminding us that as we move through our day, the people we bump into, well, we're going to be known and judged by our graciousness. I want to talk about what that means as we continue. I've talked about this song a bunch. One of my favorite Christian authors is dead and gone in heaven, not even concerned about this world anymore, Rich Mullins. He wrote a song called Let Mercy Lead. I love the lyrics of the song. This is what I try to remember on my best days. I don't remember it every day. I remember it on my good days. Let mercy lead. Let love be the strength in my legs. And with every footstep that I take, may I leave a drop of grace. So let's just assume that the people who you run into during your day are, are the footsteps that you take. Are you being led by mercy? Are you being strengthened by love? And are you leaving behind a drop of grace? I had coffee with a buddy of mine this last Thursday. 
one of my favorite places to go, Smoky Row in Ankeny. If you want to review, the Smoky Row downtown's better, but Smoky Row in Ankeny is closer, so that's why I go there. Smoky Row, and we met, and I was excited because this is a deep thinking kind of guy. Love meeting with guys that are smarter than me, which means most of the guys I meet with. And I, I knew I was going to ask him about my message. I'm going to be like, look, I'm preaching on this. Everybody I talk to, I always talk about, hey, we're on the record now. Can I quote you? We're going to be talking about attitude. I'm going to be talking about how to leave a drop of grace as I go throughout my day. And I was excited about it, wanting to talk about it. And then I sat down with this guy and we begin to talk and I begin to ask him questions and I realized I've got something wrong already. Now you're going to think this is a minor thing. And it is, but it's not. Because it's the minor things that make major things. It's the small decisions that become bigger decisions. It's the little behaviors that we implant into our lives that become bigger behaviors that become character over time. The way we relate when no one else is looking or when it doesn't matter is the way that our reputation develops and unfortunately the way that people see Jesus or fortunately in us. And I hurried through my exchange with the person who waited on me at the, the coffee shop there. I always ask obnoxious questions. Some of these guys will tell you, I always ask, what kind of coffee are you brewing today? Now they hate me asking that question because there's all kinds of different coffees. I wanna know. I don't really need to know, I just like to know. And so they'll say, I'm brewing Costa Rican, I'm brewing Guatemalan, I'm brewing Hungarian, I'm brewing, I don't know, whatever they brew, Russian. And I always ask the next question, which one's the lightest coffee? And they tell me, and I say, well, I'll have that one. And I want a couple ice cubes in it, order the same thing every time. I just like to ask the question. I said, thank you, I was nice, I even tipped 15%. Now, before you pat me on the back, there's only a $3 coffee, so it wasn't like I, it wasn't like I was really going deep, but do you know I wanna share a secret with you? I know, and Pastor Dan knows a lot of waiters and waitresses. Do you know that most of them hate working on Sunday afternoon? And do you know why? Christians. Ill-tempered, demanding, bad tippers. I hurried through the exchange, said thank you, sat down with my buddy. How do we leave a drop of grace everywhere we go throughout the day? And I said, wait, time out. Now, again, don't judge me. If you're honest, you're gonna be in this same situation. Little things become big things, little choices, big choices. Small behaviors become big behaviors. Character develops over time. It's important. It's man, I blew it. This girl just started working there, I could tell. I asked her a question she knew the answer to. And she talked me through the coffee choices and explain to me which one was the light one. And all I said was, thank you. Now, what's the big deal? What could I have said? What I could have said was, you're really good at your job. Thank you for taking the time to explain to me the differences in coffee. I know I'm a little bit obnoxious, but you know what, it helps me make a great choice. Anything except just thank you. And you say, well, what's the difference? And I would say, I'm glad you asked. Because instead of being known as the customer who came in and said thank you, I'd be known as the customer who's an encourager, who notices, who cares enough to say something. And as I begin to view my life and my exchanges this way, even in the small things, I see big things, opportunities that God brings in my life because I show myself trustworthy. I wanna show you an example very quickly from Jesus' life. 
This is an example where Jesus went to a place he didn't have to go to talk to a woman that most people wouldn't talk to to do something that a lot of people would have said is a lost cause. Jesus went into a place called Samaria, and this is a place where Jesus knew he was going to run into people who were different than him. Sometimes we Christians, we structure our whole lives around trying not to, to be around anybody who's any different than we are. We want to live our life in a holy huddle, hived off from anyone who may threaten us or our kids or our families, and we miss opportunities every day. Jesus intentionally, the Bible says, that he had to go through Samaria. Now, he didn't have to. Jews walked around Samaria all the time. He was compelled to go. And as he went, he got thirsty, sat down by a well. He ran into a woman who was different than him in every single way. Now, one of the things we have to do is we have to see through labels we put on people. The great theologian Dana Carvey says to label someone is to ignore them. But we compartmentalize dissect our world into small subsets of people, eliminating all of those who we don't think matter or who threaten us or who are different than we are, and find ourselves only really relating to just such a small percentage of the population that we're ineffective in being this salt and light. So Jesus sits down and a woman comes up who is an adulteress, like multiple live-ins and marriages and all kinds of stuff, who politically was offensive, who was a religious disaster. And she sits down and Jesus saw through the labels. And he saw her as a person. And you and I have talked about the fact that all people are created in God's image. And we give them dignity because God gave them dignity and we love them because God loves them and we don't label, we see people. And Jesus dealt with her as a person and engaged and talked to her. He saw her as somebody who was on his way and not in his way. And friends, if you and I begin to see the people who we see in our lives as intentionally on our way and not in our way, our lives are gonna change even if it doesn't make a difference in theirs. He wanted something for her so badly. He didn't want anything from her. And he engaged someone who had absolutely nothing to offer him, but everything to offer God. And when he had the opportunity, he pointed her to the truth. I want so badly for us to be known by our graciousness. As we conclude, I want to do a little example here that again you might see as being trivial or insignificant. But I want to challenge you. Because we get it wrong, and Jesus is coming soon. I'm going to ask Joy, my wife, and Lori, Dan's wife, to come and do an experiment or just a quick little, well, illustration for us. Now I'm gonna give them each, and I want you to know I went into Hobby Lobby myself, which is a scary place for a man to go. I even asked the lady who was there at the front, where would a person buy smiley face stickers? Which was a hard question for me to ask. And I went and bought these, but Joy even asked if I wanted her to go in. I said, no, I love my, my friends at church, I'm doing it for them. So I did this for you guys. 
I got um, smiley face stickers. There's a sheet of stickers for you and a sheet of stickers for you. Now, a smiley face is a smile with a smile going this way, right? Um, and um, we don't want to put them upside down because if you put them upside down, then what is that? That's not spreading grace. What is that? That's treating people like the hogs at the fair, right? Where we're putting them upside down and judging them. The ham hocks are showing a little bit of marbling. We don't want to do that, right? There's enough insulting, enough criticism. There's enough division. There's enough in the world. We're putting smiley faces on people. We're leaving drops of grace, which can be a simple compliment, which can be a word of encouragement, which can be doing something for them they don't even see or know. And I put these ladies on the spot last night, so it's not really on the spot by letting them know I was going to ask. What I want you to do is I want you to go in just a second through the congregation, and I want you to put, well, first of all, give a compliment or a word of encouragement to my friends out here, and then I want you to put a sticker on them, Okay. Now, there's two types of people in the world, friends. There is the person who sits and demands the stickers, right? And at the end of the day, no one texted me, no one called me, no one talked to me, no one was nice to me, no one gave me anything. I don't have enough stickers. The attitude, foul. The person whose job in life is to give away the stickers has realized that this conclusion, God has called me to leave a drop of grace, not only is something I can do well every single day, it's guaranteed to give me an attitude like Jesus. Inward focused, sticker, sticker, sticker. Outward focused. All right, ladies, are you ready? You had practice in the first service. You should be really good at it by now. You guys look great, by the way. Go, do it. So they're going to be moving amongst the crowd, and uh, they're going to be giving you words of encouragement. They're going to be saying nice things. They're going to be giving you compliments. And you might think, what's the big deal? I want to remind you that as you move throughout your day, little things become what? Big things. Small choices become big choices, become character, become reputation. And the gospel hangs in the balance. Jesus is looking for people he can trust. This side of the room needs some encouragement too. That wasn't even encouraging, was it? That was a frowny face right there. I just, that was terrible. I could encourage you guys. But what I wanna tell you is, is that as we show ourselves trustworthy, as we become others focused, as we're putting these grace stickers on people's lives throughout the week, God says, there's a person I can trust and conversations will open up that you will think, where in the world did that come from? Part of it is that we see people that we've never seen. And part of it is that God says, you're a person I can trust. I'm going to open up a door. Look what I'm going to do through you. Our attitudes can change. All right, Joy and Lori, you guys can come on back up here. I know I didn't give you enough time, but come on, Joy. My wife, my wife there's a frequency that I talk uh, on that she can't hear. So Lori, could you ask Joy to come back up? From, yeah. <laughs> can I have your stickers, ladies? You did great. You guys did great. Um, thank you very much. Now, if you got a sticker, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you got a sticker. Look at that. How many seconds was that? 30 seconds? Do you know what that is, friends? That's a drop of grace. Those are the footprints of grace. That's a trail of grace in 30 seconds. Well, I got stickers left. What do I do with my stickers? You get to the end of the day and you say, God, thank you for letting me Thank you for letting me put smiley faces on their shoulder. Tomorrow, I want to give away the rest of my stickers. 
That's my goal. How do you fail? You can't. And then the next day, God gives you more because we're led by mercy, filled with compassion, strengthened by love. And as we give away these stickers every single day, God can use us. The reputation of the church and the gospel begins to change and people see Jesus for who he is. And man, I want that so bad. Attitude principle number two. Who is life really about? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for my friends.